0: Yes, 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 what's up duke fans welcome to the devil's den podcast i'm your host josh smith here with my co-host Raul and shu we got steve clark and john watson from the devil's den with us today a little depressing. We kind of put this one off a little bit uh, coming off the final four. I think we were all kind of had had title hopes on that. Obviously, nobody wanted to lose to Carolina. Um, you know, if you're if you're like me, it made it a little bit better that, that Kansas was able to come back and get that done. But not a whole lot. But we'll, we'll jump in and we'll talk a little bit about Duke and UNC. Uh, our kind of reactions to that A little bit of wrap up of the season overall. And then we're going to talk kind of the offseason and kind of jump ahead with a look forward. Uh, for Shire and uh and the next year. But Shu, you were in New Orleans. So I guess I'll start there with you. Kind of what was the vibe kind of in the pregame? What was the the environment like? And then heading up to to tip off.
1: Yeah, I mean, um my first time in New Orleans, uh, wife and I loaded up the car Thursday night, got down on the other side of Atlanta, spent the night to break up the drive. And then uh <clears throat> I uh I woke her up at four in the morning because I wanted to get down there at like noon. Um, and it was about a six hour drive. Um, I didn't realize that you got to go into the central time zone. So we actually got there at 11 and she was a little upset that I, you know, could have gave her an extra hour of sleep, but, um, (laughs) I can just
2: imagine that conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So she got to do out of it though. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, you know, we got down there, went straight to the stadium. Um, they had the, the Reese's, uh, fan fest going on Friday, um, open to the public. So, went in there was a lot of fans in there already I think Kansas was doing their open practice when we got in uh Carolina came up next um and then followed by Duke but just you know a lot of people around um just kind of a a buzz in the in the air already even on Friday um a lot of Kansas fans a lot of Carolina fans a, a good bit of Villanova fans and a good bit of Duke fans but I felt like and maybe it was just me I felt like there were more Kansas and Carolina people around but um
0: was the rivalry represented? Could you tell like there was a difference between like the Duke Carolina fan bases and just like Kansas and Villanova? Did there seem to be animosity there? Or was everybody just kind of? I mean, for know? the
1: most part, everybody was kind of, you know, they weren't chirping back at like Lana was right. wearing her Carolina shirt and I'm wearing my Duke stuff. And so people, like oh, house divided, you know, and, you know, just cracking little jokes. But nobody was. It wasn't like anything uncordial, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, I hung out a little bit after Duke wrapped up practice Friday, um, was just standing in the concourse, um, and shout out to Regina Lee. She's a listener of the pod. Somebody yelled you. just kind of odd to me, you know, Oh, Hey, you know, she recognized me. She was standing there talking to, um, to Carol and Joe Roach. So she brought me over, introduced me to the Roach family, um, Chloe and, and his older brother, Jordan as well. And, and, uh. Wendell's dad was there. So took a couple pictures, Marty Clark, shout out to my guy, Marty, you know, as a <laughs> kid, um, he come walking by, I had to catch a photo with him. Um, Grant walked by, but you know, he's, he's a man of business these days. So, was, you know, take a picture on the fly real quick. Cause he's not stopping. He's trying to get out of here. Um,
0: wouldn't DeMarcus down there too. Didn't I see him?
1: So there? yeah. So I, I ran into him Saturday. Um, okay. so yeah, so hung out, uh, at, you know, for a little while then, We got out of there lana was kind of dead tired from the drive so went back to the hotel saturday woke up at six and i mean i i wanted to sleep in a little bit but just couldn't do it you know um was already nervous you know had the shakes all day pretty much uh so we got down to new orleans we stayed across in uh in covington so we got down to new orleans around noon went down to bourbon street had some lunch at Labayo at the uh, Oyster Bar. I mean, the Bourbon Street was wild um, mm-hmm. for my first time being there. And then, of course, being the Final Four, you've got all these basketball fans there. So, um, had some lunch. Shout out to my guy, Nick Amaro, that, that came and found me. Uh, he's a Twitter fam guy. Um, and then I ran into Demarcus Nelson while I was looking for Matt Hafer and Daryl Walzer uh, at the Tropical Isle. Had a had a couple of the hand grenades and then <laughs> got, got loosened up before the game because like I said, I was just so nervous. So we, uh, we rolled over to the arena about four or five and got to our seats and, uh, it kind of sunk in. Like we're here at the final four and one way or another, I'm watching coach K's last game, whether it be tonight, you know, hopefully Monday night, but we, we know how that story went. So, mm-hmm. um, pretty depressing ending. Um, you know, I had to wait around on Ben. Ben sat in a seat, kind of lifeless for a couple minutes after the game. Um, so we didn't get out of the parking deck for a while. You're sitting in the car. You're pretty upset. You have all these Tar Heel fans walking by, doing their chant and everything. And it was it was a tough day. It was a it was a pretty tough ten hour ride back Sunday. We just yeah straight out of New Orleans back to Charlotte. You know, nonstop. Um, I was kind of in my own head the whole way. Um, but, you know, either way, good weekend. It was, it was a great time. New Orleans is a great city for it. Um, I'd love to, you know, go back with John.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask too about that. Like the Duke Carolina game was, was the other fan bases in there, like kind of involved too, or was it just that, did it feel like Duke Carolina, I guess in there, like, or was it more neutral?
1: Um, no, it felt like Duke Carolina, um, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and maybe for me, I was sitting up above, uh, like the TBS guys. Um, we were right pretty much over the Carolina student section. Um, so I was, you know, hearing them a little bit louder, but, um, Villanova fans in my section, you know, they all stuck around to watch, even though they had lost, you know, if it was us and our game was first, I probably would have not stayed for the Kansas Villanova game, but, um, They, you know, the guys I was talking to is like, I just, I want to see a good game here. And this is, they, they got their money's worth. It was a great game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it sucks. It didn't turn out the way we did, but, um, rule, I know you had some kind of stats. You were doing some kind of box, box score dumpster dives there. What do you got on, on that side of it?
2: It's going to
3: sound a little bit reductive, but I think the story of this game is that one team made tough shots and the other team missed easy shots. You know, and sometimes it really just comes down to that. Um, you know, there were a few other things we did wrong, but if I told you, if I told you before the game that we were going to hold Manic to four of 10 shooting, that R.J. Davis wasn't going to st- destroy us in the pick and roll, that we were going to have 25, 26, maybe bench points, um, and you know that Keels was going to have a great game, that we were going to grab 15 offensive rebounds, you would think we won, right? But. Mm. You know, so that's the frustration, right? It's a, you know, it was a a combination of missed shots. Uh, So we shot like 42%, I believe. um, And then we shot 23% from three. That was huge. Uh, 12 of 20 from the free throw line. That's 60% there. So it's just the, the ball just wasn't going in the basket for whatever reason. And then of course you had the foul trouble too. Um, Yeah. And then even though I said we had uh, 15 offensive rebounds, they had 17. So that kind of, you know. Canceled it out, and they ended up out rebounding us, actually, but we had more shot attempts too, so you know it's just a it's just an odd game where I felt when watching it i don't know how you guys felt, but I felt that we were playing well enough to win, but there was just a, a series of little things that went wrong, you know, like uh Mark missing those two free throws that would have put us up by a point um Paolo. You know, throwing the ball back in bounds, and uh, you know, and then that turns into a baycott and one. and It was just an escalation of things like that, like a death by a thousand paper cuts or something. You know,
0: for me, it was like two things that, like, as soon as I watched the game coming into it, I was calm all week. I felt good leading up to it, but as soon as the game starts and Mark has two fouls in five minutes, and Duke has the first five or six fouls of the game, and I'm not one to blame refs or what. It ended up Carolina had the next four after that, so like whatever but Mark getting completely taken out of the game in that first half after being so good for us. I mean, probably our best player over the last month. It just didn't have any rhythm. Right. And then the second half, I thought we were, we were okay until that 13 run happened. And it seemed like it happened in like a minute and a half. I mean, it was just boom, 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 like three offensive rebounds too. It was, it was just that to me was just crushing right there.
3: But, oh, I meant to, I meant to mention Mark actually. So, Yeah, I mean, that obviously comes into foul trouble, but, you know, we haven't had foul trouble all year, really. And I was looking at Mark's uh, box scores, and he has had four fouls. He never fouled out all year, which is really impressive, considering, you know, the defensive load he carried. Uh, He had four fouls six times. Four of those times we lost. So, you know, there you go, right? Um, Not good odds if he gets four fouls, so. Yep. No.
0: And I, to be clear I didn't want I'm not blaming the right. officiating I thought it was um, kind of just bad in general across the whole tournament and that's been talked about nationally and and otherwise I didn't think that I thought one or two of the fouls were a little questionable I also thought mark I was like Mark what are you doing on like one or two of them too like he doesn't do that he never does that stuff Paolo put him in a really tough spot on that where he saved mm-hmm. it and then Mark gets this I think that was his fourth that was yeah was his yes, fourth. Yeah.
1: fourth I mean that's that's yeah.
0: a tough spot to be in but you know. It is what it is, but yeah, John or or Steve, if if you want to jump in on what, you know, takeaways from the weekend or or the game in in itself.
2: Yeah, I think the, the mark point is a really good one. And I think for me, that was a big takeaway. was just how massive an effect that had on the team, you know, and, and you have to give, you know, especially with him, you know, having the two early fouls in the first half and you got to, I thought for me, like I, I had a lot of respect for Theo, John, like he played a ton of minutes straight in a row you know, to fill in for Mark, you know, in the first half. And I think he played a lot of minutes that he wasn't used to having to play, you know, in consecutive fashion uh, the way he did. So I thought in the first half, you know, Theo was huge uh for Duke stepping up uh, just to help fill the gap. You know, once it was clear that Kay was trying to get through the first half as, you know, with as least amount of damage as possible. And I think, Raul, to go back to one of your points, your observation early on about uh Manic, you know, being taken out of the game, I just... I thought the chess move that Kay put in to have Wendell Moore starting out and playing defense on Manic quite a bit. I thought that was a fascinating uh, chess move because I think he saw what Manic's tendencies were, you know, and how he was in the, in the wins, how he was able to relocate off a of pick and roll and how much of a weapon he was on a perimeter for UNC. I thought that was a really interesting coaching move. And then I think in the second half, I'm sure you guys probably had the same uh, thought that I did. Like i I wanted Duke to drive the ball more. I mean they were I mean, they did a good job at driving consistently uh, in the second half, and they were drawing a ton of fouls. and you could just see, you know that as they were trying to integrate Mark back into the lineup and trying to get as much as they possibly could out of him, like you could just see from a basketball perspective, the best offense for Duke in the second half was driving the ball, and they were getting you know layups at the rim and just forcing fouls. And all that. And I just think at the end of the day, like, you know, when you have a big shot maker like uh, uh, like Caleb Love, you know, he was willing to take that big shot, you know, on, on that three that he made that gave him a little bit of separation. That was the difference in the game. But big picture, big picture for me to wrap this up Duke was one of four, fi- you know, they were one of the final four teams. And I know there's a lot of disappointment in the Duke fan base for, you know, losing to Carolina, not minimizing that in any way. But at the end of the day, this was a Final Four team, and they could have won. I mean, they really could have won that game. I mean, that's how close it was. And so I think you got to give them a lot of respect and credit for, you know, making it to the Final Four because that's not guaranteed every year as, as we've seen. And to be in the game in the way that they were, like, you got to give credit to Carolina for making the shot when they needed to make the shot. This team accomplished a lot. I thought they grew a ton in the tournament. And that, that for me, is the big picture takeaway. Like, they, they won some games in the tournament that earlier in the season they would have lost you know what i'm saying Mm. for sure
0: john what about you i know we were talking a little bit about kind of kind of aj and and to me not to steal your point but they seem to have figured him out you know i think he had what like four or five shots in the game in cameron and then again just couldn't ever get the rhythm going What? what's your final takeaway from duke's final season or k's final season duke in the final four carolina game
4: yeah, so uh, starting with the <clears throat> actual game, I would I would point to Steve's point of, yeah, Wendell Moore took Brady Manick out of the game. I was somewhat surprised that they didn't, when Love and R.J. Davis are just carving them up in the second half, that they didn't move Wendell Moore onto Caleb Love. Give a guy who's a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, a little bit more experience. I don't know if it makes a difference because then maybe Manick all of a sudden starts going wild. But to me, you know, Duke didn't have a matchup for Love, so maybe give him a little bit longer guy, a little bit quicker guy. Maybe move Keels onto Manic and see what that does. Maybe Keels can body him up. Um, You know, it's it's water under the bridge now, but you know, to kind of piggyback on, um, well, I'll talk about the other one first. Um, You know, you talk about AJ. Yeah, I think they did figure him out. Um, You know, with AJ, he came to college after not playing for two years. Um, I still don't think he's 100% 100% back athletically. I don't think he trusts his trusts his body yet. Um, you know, he, he's... He, Texas Tech took him out of the game, too. And it's basically, when it's a physical game, he wants no part of that right now. Um, you could see it on his drives. Uh, you could see, you know, he would, he would get into the air and then try to avoid contact instead of using that frame of his to go into the rim. Um, it was kind of like... He, he didn't used to do that when he was younger, but again, two years of injuries. Um, he's not a finished product yet. I think you'll see a lot more in the NBA, but I think he's going to have to get that point of his game re-unlocked to, to stick around in the NBA for a long time. That being said, you know, as far as final takeaways for the season as a whole, uh, Steve, Steve hit the he- nail on the head. And I think you guys did too. It's, look, take away the name on the jerseys uh, uh, for the final loss. This is a team that started off, you know, ninth or tenth in the country. Um, they lost their best scorer last year. They lost their most talented player last year. Lost their most talented, um, you know, backcourt guy. Um, basically, all they returned was two guys who seemed to really have a a lot of potential with Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach. But you know, no no consistency. And then they added a bunch of freshmen and, and a transfer that barely played at Marquette. And they made the final four and were within one or two bad possessions from playing for the national title. And, you know, I, I personally believe, and it may just be rose-colored glasses, I think Duke was a better matchup for Kansas than North Carolina was uh, as far as success-wise goes. I mean, Carolina probably should have won that game, and I think Duke would have been able to close it out just because of the the makeups of the rosters. Uh, you know, It's all about matchups. But, you know, that being said, my final takeaway, and I, I this might be a segue into what we're going to talk about in a little bit. I, I'm, it was a great season. I'm kind of glad it's over. Um, it was exhausting. I mean, it, from from our perspective, you know, writing for the site for the typical fan, it was exhausting. Every every play had so much extra meaning because we knew it was Shushetsky's last dance. You know, every. Every time they lost, it was catastrophic because, hey, Coach K will never get another chance. Um, you know, losing to Carolina is never any fun, but the magnitude that was just thrust upon these kids for the Cameron thing, the Final Four, its I'm not going to say it's not fair because that's sports, but I, I can't imagine being in their shoes. And they they performed well, given all of that. And, you know, people... People are gonna go, oh well Carolina's got bragging rights. They you know, they they beat Shosheski in his last home game. They beat him in the final four. Yeah. Dean Smith lost in I thought, well, didn't he lose in the second round for his last game? And Roy Williams' last game, he lost by like forty. So nobody's in the final four, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, but I mean at the end of the day, it's yeah, that's right. You're right, because then he handed it off to go. the end of the yeah. 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 But I mean, end of the day, Shoshewski's the greatest coach that college basketball has seen since wooden. Um, he's definitely the greatest coach of the open era. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a nice, nice way to, to walk out being in a final four, uh, would have loved for him to win it, but end of the day, it didn't happen, but I don't think that should dampen what the kids accomplished, what the program accomplished and doing so in the fish bowl that was admittedly self-created is impressive. And, you know, the, the people who are going to focus on the fact that it was losing to Carolina, you know, you do you, but end of the day, I, I don't think that matters one iota. I mean, team was great. It was fun to watch. Um, I wish AJ would have had a better game in the Final Four. Um, I wish that, you know, things would have worked out different. But if you'd have told us all back in November the team was going to win the ACC regular season title, they were going to lose in the ACC championship game, and then they were going to make the Final Four. If you'd said all that, I think everyone in the fan base would have been happy. And that's what happened.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, too, it was the senior night loss, what to me, was worse than the loss in the Final Four, just because by the time the Final Four got there, I think I had finally came around and looking at kind of the numbers and the stats of like, Carolina's actually good now. Right. On senior night, it still felt like we lost to a team that was like not even barely a tournament team. Right. It was like, who are these guys? Like we had no business doing that. By the time the tournament rolls around, they're the best team in the country the last like month of the season. So it's at that point, they're good. They're an eight seed, but but they're good. Right. And they're there. And so it's, you know, what it also helps for me too that. They lost Monday night that that would have been tough for me if knowing that we were there in the final four and, so close to having the fairytale opportunity and it gets taken from us from Carolina winning it in case final year, that would have, that would have,
1: fairytale to nightmare, right? Like you didn't, well, I personally, I bought tickets for the final four, you know, the date, the, the minute we punched our ticket, I never thought that
4: that would have been uh, even a plausible scenario. Well, I'll full disclosure. uh, I, I watched the first half and turned it off at halftime, expecting, you know, just going to bed, trying to figure out how you're going to cope the next day. Yep. and Same. I mean, I was I was in a sound sleep and woke up from a sound sleep and just looked at my phone really quick and saw that it was like a one point game with two minutes left. I'm going, right. I, I guess I better watch, and you know, then I, of course yep. couldn't go to sleep because I was. Sitting there going, Oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> yeah. I did the same thing. I didn't watch it at all, it was following the box score. After this halftime, I'm like, Oh, this is over. Started looking at it. I tune in at the very end just because I was like, All right, Kansas is up three. Let me just tune in. And the moment I cut the TV on, dude for Kansas just walks out of bounds and turns it over. And I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. I'm gonna turn <laughs> it on and watch Caleb Love hit a three and they good overtime and win. Luckily, that didn't happen. Where was the five for twenty four Caleb Love on Saturday? But
4: well, I remember, I remember it made me think of the Bobby Hurley thing in 1992 against Indiana, where it, they're, they're literally Indiana's rallying in the national semifinal. They try to get it into Hurley and Hurley steps on the baseline. And it, I was sitting there going, Oh God, don't do that. Don't do that. But
3: same result, the, the right team won. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like, even though it was historic collapse by UNC, you know, biggest lead surrendered in a title game or whatever, but like it still wasn't that surprising in retrospect, given what we've seen from Carolina all year, right? Like, I think that was almost their their old colors kind of coming to the front again. Uh, you know, we've seen them just, you know, like, uh, I mean, well, even earlier in the tournament against Baylor, I mean, I know there was extenuating circumstances there because of Manic going out, but they blew a 25-point lead there. Um, but throughout the year, you would see them just like, once a team uh, kind of gave that knockout punch, they would just crumble, and I kept hoping that would happen to them at some point in the tournament. And then it finally did, but it wasn't until the title game. <laughs> I really thought they were going to go out in the second round, though. When uh, when Baylor pushed them to overtime, yeah, yeah, that felt like the the punch there, but.
0: You know, It is what it is. We, I guess we'll, we'll hopefully be moving forward. I know there's been some, some recent kind of news out there about what Kate's going to do, but we'll, we'll assume that we're going to usher in the, the John Shire era. Um So I, I guess we'll start by kind of just a broad kind of discussion. John and Steve, who, who do you think stays? Who do you think goes? And is, is there anyone that has been kind of considered like a lot to leave that, you know, well, maybe there's a little bit more of a chance there than we think? Or is this going to just kind of be a mass exodus.
4: Yeah, I can, I, I can jump in real quick. Um, I think uh, the smart money would be on everybody, but Roach leaving at the top seven. Um, the hope would be that Trevor Keels can come back. Um, he's got some work to do uh, physically. He's got some work to do, uh, you know, on his shot. He's got to get better mm-hmm. footwork. You know, hopefully they don't try to masquerade him as a point guard next year. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if I had to guess, I mean, obviously, Ben has gone. Obviously, Mark Williams is gone. A.J. Griffin's gone. Uh, I think Wendell Moore's 95 to not 100% gone. I'd say Keels is probably 60-40 to go, and I think Roach comes back. Um, Theo Johns obviously exhausts his eligibility. Um, Jalen Blake's. Uh, I mean, there's there's talk that he may look to go somewhere else, uh, especially with the when you start looking at who they're recruiting and why. Um, Joey Baker, we can talk about this. I, the kid's given everything he has to Duke. He's got one more year of eligibility. Do we really think he's going to play next year? Um, I kind of don't. Um, so yeah, I, I think Roach is pretty much coming back, uh, and that's about it. <laughs> Uh, from the people who contributed this year, but I'll I'll defer to anybody else who has opinions as well.
2: I think that I think the Keels situation is a really interesting one because I know there's been discussion about you know does it make more sense for him if he doesn't have a first round guarantee to come back to a platform you know like like what he has at Duke especially with nil opportunities being what they are and I think the the body issue with Keels is an interesting discussion if he does come back. To Duke it's really interesting because when he was in high school when I remember when I first saw him as a sophomore, <clears throat> he was he was heavier and he actually lost a lot of weight his senior year uh, partly because Kay challenged him. He was like, I think you could be the man for us you, you could really help us you know but you need to get in better shape you know in order to be a key player for us at Duke and so senior year he committed to that and then it seemed like with this year, like his body type was just a little bit different. Like it looked like he added some of the weight back and I don't know if that was, you know, from weightlifting or I don't know what the issue was, but it was, it's just interesting to see like how his body has kind of undergone some transformation since I first saw him as a sophomore to now. And I think if he, you know, to John's point, if he commits, you know, to improving his body, I think athletically he stands to grow. And I think if he commits to improving his body in the off season, the way like when Moore did, Uh, to get ready for this year. I think Trevor Kiros can make an impact next season for Duke, for sure, if he decides to come back. It would definitely be nice to have a little
0: continuity, and since Roach and Kills played together in high school, to have that kind of dual backcourt again. But um, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the portal. There's been a lot of buzz recently about the guard from Kansas State. I think it's Nigel. Nigel Pack is is who it is. Um, Is that – I guess from John or Steve, from your perspective, is this somebody that they're looking to bring in regardless of what the roster looks like, or is this more of a keel's protection plan or a roach protection plan? Like how exclusive, I guess, would be like a pack and a roach on the same roster.
4: Yeah. I think, I think you have to go back to what the portal is. Um, you know, you're, you've got, it's a two-way street. Um, you know, Duke needs another guard next year. I mean, let's just be real. They do. I mean, they've got, Right now, they have Roach, uh, most likely. If Keels comes back, they still need another guard because, um, you know, Jaden Shoot, it's, he's a good player. I don't know that he's going to be an impact freshman. Um, of course, you know, we, we say all this. We, we have no idea what kind of rotation Shire's going to run. We've never seen it. Yep. Um, you know, if it was a Krzyzewski's team, I'd tell you, he's going to be like Jalen Blakes, and he'll get spot minutes early, but when the rotation shrinks to seven players, he's not going to play. Yep. Yep. Um, That being said, um, I I think they need another high-level guard um, regardless. But the question becomes, if Trevor Keels comes back, do you get that high-level guard who's going to want to come in and start? And I'm assuming a kid like Pack is going to want to come in and start. I mean, he scored 18 a game in a Power 5 conference. I mean, he wants a bigger stage. Duke can certainly provide that, but... You know if the role they're offering is hey, you can compete to be maybe the third guard, maybe maybe you can compete to be a starting point guard, maybe not. Um, it, you know all of a sudden Duke can't offer as much if Keels comes back. and I, I think that's what people really need to remember. It's not like you know NBA 2k where you can go in there and make your trade and if you know override stuff it's hmm. you know, there are there are real considerations that these kids, their their families, uh, their, their trainers, all that. There's real considerations of how much am I going to play? I mean, I, I think Steve would agree here that, you know, finding a, a reserve big man in the portal is a heck of a lot easier than finding the kind of guard they need next year. Yeah. Now, if Keels is gone, I, I think they can get whoever they want to play because at that point it's like, hey, come in. You know, you are most likely going to start at shooting guard or this is a second point guard. You're going to play 25 to 35 minutes a game on the biggest stage in college basketball. That's a lot better than, Hey, come in and, you know, Roach and Keels are coming back. They're probably going to start. You're going to come off the bench. You'll still get minutes. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll get good minutes, but will you be that guy that a different pitch. And so yep. I think until we know what Keels is going to do, which will probably happen in the next week, you know, it's, it's really all just speculation, but to answer your question, if, if the Kansas state kid wanted to come to Duke, um, yeah, they would take him regardless. And, you know, they've got to figure out what they can offer first. And I don't think they know fully yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Cause I think I was reading too, that the, and rightfully so, like you said, that he he had been playing off ball this year, but his freshman year, this guy was a point guard. And it sounds like he really wants to get back to that. Right. Cause that was the feedback of saying, Hey, if I'm going to get to the league, I need the ball in my hands. Well, if, Kills comes back, then that's three guys who are saying, well, hey, if I'm going to get to the league, I got to have the ball in my hands. And at some point there's only one of them, right?
4: There's one ball. He's he's six feet tall too. I mean, he's got to play, you know, and Duke has won with that in the past. Well, you know, they can, you can play two small guards with next year's rotation. I mean, you know, Whitehead is a big guy at the three. Mark Mitchell is a big guy at the three, four uh Filipowski and Lively are huge at mm-hmm. the 4 and 5. They'll find a reserve big man in the portal, I'm sure. So I mean, you could play two small guards if you have that kind of, you know, rim protection behind them. Right. And you know, both both Roach and Packer, both they're small, they're quick, they can get in those passing lanes. Um you know, they they could do that certainly. Um you know, but the question again just becomes like you said, what's the opportunity available and you know, that that's something we may not know until next year because, again, we don't know what John Shire is going to run. We just don't. Right.
2: Yeah, that's, that's my biggest question, too, and observation, like exactly what you just hit on, John, is how is Shire going to manage the roster? Because I think I, you just have to think that based on how he recruited this freshman class, that he has built a class to complement each other. And if you build a class not around you know, a Zion-level talent or a Tatum-level talent and then fill in the gaps with everybody else, if you build a class that's truly balanced, then it stands to reason that I think Shire is somebody who recognizes the value of playing a lot of guys and giving guys an opportunity to develop during the course of the season. And if you do that, then I think this pack kid from K-State helps Duke a ton especially if he knows that he's going to have, a, like you said, like a real opportunity, you know, to play a combo guard role, have the ball in his hands, play major minutes and all that. And if you're Duke, like you want to have a couple guys that have point guard combo skills and whatnot, because it, to me in an ideal world, if you can play Dariq Whitehead at the three, the athleticism and the shooting that he brings and, and the slashing ability that he brings – would be a huge asset for Duke in their offense at the three, as opposed to just playing as a big two. And if you can play them primarily at the three, because you have multiple guards that know they're going to play, who can handle the ball in different ways, like a pack, like a roach, if you have keels back, like that does nothing but help Duke, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think for me, it's whether it's pack or whether, you know, roach can take the next step. Uh, I know that it's, there's, kind of politics to this stuff of how to bring guys in and what I'm just looking at the roster and saying next year's roster could either be okay and good or elite with an elite point guard. Cause I'm looking at Filipowski and Derek Lively and I'm like, man, give me an RJ Davis and the pick and roll with those guys and let's go. Right. Like what, but we need a guard that knows how to operate in that kind of pick and roll, right. Getting those guys, the ball, getting them moving. Both of them can pick and pop. Jeremy Mike can be that guy. He's shown some flashes of it, Um, but he's also shown, you know, towards the end of the tournament, I think he had like, what, like 15 assists in the last three or four games or something, or 15 turnovers in the last three. That gets kind of like, ooh, like he had that awesome stretch of assist to turnover. Then he kind of was like hunting the shot, rightfully so. He saved us in the, you know, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Um, I'm not sure if he's that type of guard, right? That type of heady... But and roll kind of guy,
2: Josh, to your point, I think it's a good one. And I mean, like, let's look at what happened with Wendell Moore this year. Like, look at the offseason jump that he made. I mean, he was one of Duke's most important players this year because of the jump that he committed to making in the offseason. Like, why couldn't Jeremy Roach do that? Like, he has ability. He's a really good player. Like, he made plays on the biggest stages in the final four. Like, if he knows that he's coming back to be the man and to run the show, like, why couldn't he have an offseason like what Wendell Moore did? I sure and he's got the ability. He's just got to commit. Yeah. Well, I think what interests yeah. me about Pack is his shooting. I mean,
3: hmm. 43% on 7.5 attempts per game. Like, that's just something that nobody on the roster that we have, you know, coming in as of now can offer. Um, you know, I know Whitehead is kind of a streaky shooter, you know, and Filipowski and uh, Lively can make them. And Roach has shown some improvement, but... I don't know that you look at that roster and say, but outside of shoot, who might not play very much, that there's a surefire forty percent shooter there. So having a guy who shot forty percent in his freshman season, followed by forty three percent, like Steve, what you were saying, just being able to put another guard out there and space the floor, yeah, especially if you're going to play two bigs, that just opens up driving lanes for everybody.
2: And that team is screaming for a motion offense. Like, I know we, I know it's easy to joke about that, but the way they complement each other, like this team, in some ways, I think they could be as good as like when you look at like a team like Virginia Tech this year, like they thrived in the motion offense because their bigs moved all the time. They have multiple screening actions that got their shooters open. Like that team was successful offensively because they moved and they screened for each other and they got open. Like Duke could do that next year because those guys complement each other and all the bigs and all the wings and all the guards, like they move. Like that is one of the defining characteristics that I've seen with every single one of those freshmen coming in. They move without the ball, they screen for each other. Like they're, they have a lot of intelligent basketball players that are coming in within this freshman class. So even if their talent is different, like just from a raw talent perspective, you know, compared to a Tatum or a Zion or, or whatever, like this team could really help each other if they're running a motion offense. So I'm fascinated to see what Shire does. Like how does he set things up? Like does he run a similar offense that's built around one or two guys like we've seen with K or does he go in a completely different direction?
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, when I think back of looking, you know, just where John's coming from as a player, I'm hoping that we see some of that stuff, right? Like yeah. that 2010 defense to, to sag off, to stop doing the overplay, man. He has a team next year. That's going to resemble a little bit of those same kind of like limitations and like how far we're going to extend the defense. Um, having the big three in him, Nolan and, and Kyle, you know, it didn't matter who scored anybody could go off. Um, I'd love to see some, some team building stuff like that. Except now we get to do it with the elite talent, but you only get one year. That's the, that's the fire you play with. But, um, I guess talking about John, we'll talk a little bit about some some coaching staff stuff. So recently uh, came out, Nolan's taken, I think it's the associate head coach job is what, what the the official title is up at Louisville. Um, for those not aware, his dad played up there, right? Kenny Payne, friend of the family. He's got a lot of ties to Louisville. Obviously, he's got a lot of ties to Duke, too, and John. So for me, it, it, it hurts to see him leave. I was really looking forward to kind of having him and Nolan um, kind of representing that 2010 backcourt out there next year. I was pretty excited to see that it is what it is. You know, I, I wish him the best. Um, but in the meantime, we did pick up it's Mike shrug. Yeah, I believe that's the pronunciation uh, head coach at Elon. I wasn't aware of this. I think John, you were telling me that he used to be Duke's basketball operations. Is that the title that he used to have?
4: Yep. Yeah, something like he was essentially Dave Bradley before Duke blue planet became a thing. Uh, he ran, he was essentially the GM of the program, which is kind of what he's coming back to do, as I understand it.
0: Okay. So, did John and him have like a personal relationship? I guess I was kind of curious, like, how did that conversation he, go? Like, when did he come into the picture?
4: Yeah, he was, I think he was well before John. I think he would, I think he, I think he left when Johnny went to uh, Stanford okay. uh, all those years ago. And then from there, he, he, Made a couple other coaching stops. Ended up at Elon as the head coach. Um, you know he's got the reputation of being a very, very smart, very sharp guy. Um, you know he's 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 a guy who's a tremendous administrator. He knows how to, you know, how to recruit. He knows how to prepare. Um, I think he's going to be a real a real bene- beneficiary um, or benefit for John in the sense of you know running the program on the back end. Um, preparing all the stuff, the day-to-day stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's a really smart hire for him, I think. Um, uh, he's also got ties to RME through Coach K. Mm. So, I mean, it's, 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 he's kind of going outside the family in, in the sense that it's not a former player, but it's a guy who's been all over the basketball world and who is an incredibly um, uh, influential and an incredibly smart guy who will certainly help them in a number of ways.
0: And I'm assuming Sewell will be the associate head coach, I guess. And then Shragi would come in as assistant and maybe Emil will maybe get promoted. Or do you think they're trying to bring somebody else in to help as I, well?
4: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that Emil is is going to be bumped up. I mean, he may be. Um, Carowell will still be there as an assistant. Uh, Shragi, I don't know if he's going to be a an actual assistant or if he's going to be like a director of operations. I mean, I'm not sure what his title is going to be. Um, and as far as another coach, they may be waiting to see what happens with some other guys. Um, you know, it, I still think you know you've got let's say let's say Emile is bumped up. You've got your head coach is thirty four years old. One of your assistants is twenty nine years old. Carowells, you know what? Maybe forty, maybe in early forties. Yeah, I mean, you need some. I, I still think that, that what they need is a, is an older guy. Rocky's a little bit older, but I mean, they they need an older guy who's been a head coach somewhere, who's can do some X's and O's stuff, who can be kind of a different personality that, you know, the voice of experience here and there. Um, I'm not sure who that would be right now, um, but I, I think that's probably what they're looking for. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, um, maybe not perfect for them, but you know, one that makes a lot of sense would be Chris Collins. Um, you know, he's still the head coach at Northwestern, but... Part of me wonders, you know, Northwestern's got a new AD. Really, I don't know that Chris is going to take the program any higher than he already has. Um, he, Chris was the one who recruited Shire at Duke all those years ago. Um, so, you know, that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I don't, you know, obviously, Chris would have to not be the coach at Northwestern, and certainly you don't want that for him. Right. So, um, you know, I don't think Wojciechowski going to be a, an option. I think he's going to end up in the NBA. Um, you know, a guy I, I wish they'd look at would be like maybe Dave McClure, uh, mm-hmm. who's, I think, I think he's with the Spurs right now. Um, I think Memphis, you know, right? The Grizzlies. Yeah. Grizzlies, right. Maybe yeah, it's yeah, Memphis. Memphis yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, there, there's all kinds of guys like that who could be, of course, you know, I, I think about that, but I think McClure actually told me a while ago that he, a couple of years ago, he was going to take that class to, Eventually, try to become what Trajan Langdon has, which is a GM, more of an administrative side, similar to what Elton Brand's done. So, um, have you, you know, there's. Have you got any sense from John about like,
0: I know at the end there with with really the whole time with K, it was kind of keep it within the family, keep it with all Duke guys. Is there a sense with John where, yeah, I want to do that too? Or could we see him maybe branch back out, talk to some of those people at Northbrook or up there in Chicago, bring those guys in as well? Or should we kind of expect it's,
4: it's going to continue to just be Duke guys? Uh, you know, I, it's, I, I think he's, I, I think he will always look to bring in the best possible candidate. I mean, one thing about Shire, he is, he's always been known as a guy who's incredibly analytical. He's, uh, he, he doesn't rush into things. He doesn't, you know, it's, it's all very well thought out. Um, and, you know, I, I think you'll hire the best candidates. I mean, you look at the Duke coaching tree right now, there's not a lot of guys out there. Um, you know, I saw on the boards, Will Avery, I mean, you know, that makes sense to a degree, but I mean, it's like our, our, our message boards look at, it's like, well, let me just go down the rosters from about 10 years (laughs) ago. And oh yeah, Yeah. this guy would be a great coach. This guy would be a great coach. And it's like, they may never have coached, you know, in their (laughs) life. Yeah.
3: Or they're I not mean, interested, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, Shane Radier might I mean, be great, but like, does he want? He's to He's not that? leaving his his coach no. job. Yeah, or, yeah, J- exactly. I heard
0: JJ Redick, and it's like I just don't. JJ's got a perfect. Gig JJ's going not right a coach. Now. He's not going to um, want to do that. <laughs> and
3: he's, no, he's into mean, golf
4: now too. He's not going to want
3: to do that. I Quinn Snyder time. might need a job.
4: <laughs> if <laughs> Quinn Snyder that. gets fired, he will be picked up by the NBA right, exactly. franchise <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, if you want, if you wanted the the guy who. You know, was the best coach possible. Quinn was the guy in the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, but with his history on the recruiting trail, there is no way he was getting the job. Um, but yeah, if he if he came back, that would be killer. But I, I can't imagine that'd be like Shire hiring Brad Stevens as his assistant. It's just yeah, not going to happen. Might be a little bit of a pay cut too. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so. I you know I, I don't I don't know who it's going to be yet. I haven't heard a lot of names. I mean, I heard Shroggy as soon as um as soon as the Nolan stuff came out. Um, I haven't heard anything about another guy yet. Um, we are efforting, but yeah, you know, they may not know yet.
0: Is um, Tyler Thornton still coaching somewhere? Is he still doing something? Yeah, some of he he's, was
4: with Marquette, right? And so
0: he was with Marquette. While. Yeah, he yep, was yeah. a grad
4: assistant at Marquette. Um, I, I'm not sure what he coached. What he's up to. Uh, I think
2: he I think he coached at Howard,
4: didn't he? With Kenny Blakeney. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That might be it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He might be I a mean, guy I, to maybe kick the tires with. I mean, I guess you could reach out and say, well, because isn't Greg Paulus at like Niagara or something? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, like I said, I still think the guy they need, the demographic's going to be early to mid 50s mm-hmm. and who's been a head coach. I mean, you know, I part of me wonders, is Dave Henderson still coaching? I mean, Or, or maybe you know, I know Kenny Blake needs at Howard as the head coach, but you know, I'm just, I'm thinking of guys from like that era. You know, you need older. I I just, I I just, maybe it's me, but I I don't think you can be successful with a bunch of guys who are under 40 years old. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, um, you know, so.
0: And I'd but, love uh, to get a guy like Mark Adams, like how Chris Beard had that at you know at Texas Tech. And then obviously he took over and you see the genius that Mark Adams is. That would be awesome, right? The sage over there is the assistant coach, just kind of content with that. Someone to help with X's and O's stuff. But
1: Plot twist, what if we get Tom Izzo to be... <laughs> <laughs> Like, hey, you're not getting it done there. You can just come win championships with us. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd love that. But,
2: um,
1: Master of March, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, we'll see. I'm, I hope Emil does stick around, at least, even if it's not an official promotion or in some capacity. I just want oh, Emil I think will. And we need a big, I like having a big guy on the staff that can work yeah. with the bigs. Emil was just tremendous at keeping the ball high, fluid finishing, screens, knowing where to where to pop to? Where to Footwork. roll
2: to? Footwork yeah. was yeah. Um,
0: great. Hands, great feet.
2: I think, and I think if Emil comes back, you know, as a as an assistant coach, and he's recruiting, I think him and Carowell actually make for an interesting pairing with Shire as the head man from a recruiting perspective on the uh, coaching staff. Because Carowell and Emil, like both those guys, obviously they've been a part of the program. They both communicate extremely well. Like they just they have really interesting personalities, and I think. We're, we're also discounting the reality of how, you know, Dave Bradley and Duke Blue Planet, everything that they're going to do, like, I think you're going to see some different things, you know, from them going forward with how they market the staff, you know, how they market the program going forward now that it's going to be Shire's, you know, program. And I think from a recruiting perspective, you know, that mix, especially with Nolan being gone, that mix of Emile and Carowell and Shire, like, you know, pair that group with the, with the, with the engine that is, uh, from a recruiting perspective, that is Duke blue planet. Like that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, you know, to kind of see how they, how they market the program going forward. Cause it's going to be a different identity, right?
0: For sure. For sure. Um, well, what's we got some, uh, some upcoming announcements, commitments later this week. I know oh. I've seen a lot about Tyrese Proctor, Mackenzie McBacco, making decisions soon, um, saw some crystal ball picks from you all seems to be pretty, pretty high optimism over there. I, I guess my question is, should I go ahead and break out the Mark Morrison now or should I wait? Till
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, Duke fans are going to be really excited with, uh, you know, subscribers are going to be really excited with those two announcements with, Mackenzie uh, McKenzie McMacbo and, uh, and Tyrese Proctor. Like I've, I've scouted them both, uh, a lot on film or so on, on TV and McKenzie in person. And they both, uh, they're going to bring some unique characteristics uh, to Duke. And I think, I know there's been a lot of uh, comparison questions about McKenzie on the on the Duke side. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, like if you're not a subscriber to the Devil's Den, like you need to be, because especially this time of year with all the discussion about recruiting and everything, like this is an extremely valuable time of year, uh, you know, for the discussion on the site. And I think with McKenzie, the more I've watched him play, and I know this is going to be make for interesting discussion on the board, he has some characteristics to me offensively uh, to how Jabari played uh, Jabari Parker at Duke. Like he is such a big, physical, athletic wing who's skilled, and he can operate out of the mid post. He can shoot it from three. By the time he gets to Duke, like he's got a big body for a big wing, and and I know he's going to play the three and the four because that's what Duke usually does with guys of that size. But offensively, he's got some similarities to how Jabari played. So I'm interested to see how does he play uh, in the in the Duke system. You know, with all the other guys that they're going to bring in in the 23 class, because he's an interesting chess match speech, uh, piece for sure.
0: And and Proctor too. He's not ranked right now, right? Like I guess he's not part of it because he's international. Is that how that works? Like he'll get slotted in if he commits. Yeah. Or? As as, yes. soon, as
4: soon as he as soon as he declares that he's going to play yeah. in college. Yeah. They're going to give him a star and a, and a rating. Uh, go yeah. ahead and book him as a top 15 player and a yeah. five-star prospect. Proctor he is legit. Be, he's legit. Yeah, he's probably the best point guard in the class. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, as far as uh, you know, the two of them go, I mean, Duke is if – they, if they do land these two kids as, as we kind of expect them to, they've got five five-star players committed in the junior class – before the first recruiting weekend (laughs) of the cycle. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And I mean, I think in, in talking to some, to some uh, sources last night, the only thing they're going to look for after that is maybe a big guy. Um, One more big guy. And then they, they've got literally two years to focus on the 2024 class. Yep.
2: Um, And they've already, and they've already got offers out to some guys in 24 already. Is the boo- isn't Boozer's kids yeah, twenty four? No, they're no, yeah.
0: they're twenty five. Yeah,
2: Boozer Twins are class of twenty five, and a name that Duke guys need to watch for also in the class of twenty twenty five is Cooper Flag. Uh, he's a big wing. He's he actually just moved from Maine. From Maine. From yeah. Maine. He's going down to Montverde. Uh, mm. Same same school that uh, R.J. Barrett played at and uh, and Dariq Whitehead. Uh, he's the next like big athletic you know white wing like he is who he, he can Single. play yeah he's really good he's really mm-hmm.
4: good I'd uh, uh. hopefully they can get in that on a uh, cunningham too <laughs> on that year
1: nice not see nice cunningham is it? yeah yep. that's class yeah. of
2: 2024 yeah. that bryson yeah. they've already offered bryson tucker uh who's a big athletic uh kind of a kind of a big guard so yeah yep. but John, john's point is spot on like and i think from a Relationship building perspective in the class of 2024, they're going to have a head start, and that's going to be a huge help because class of 2024 is a really good class. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the kid that, uh, the McKenzie, who he reminds
4: six 6'8, like I said, well, 6'8 and a half almost now, yep. but 210, 220, 215 pounds, shoots about 40% from the outside. Reminds me a lot of Shane Baddier as a senior in high school. Yep. A lot. So, you know, obviously he he's not going to stay four years, but you know, like I said, there, John Shire is killing it on the recruiting trail right now. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah
0: you know. he's he's rolling. I guess for for Proctor is. Would you say is he more of kind of a, a traditional point guard or is he a no. kind of combo? Type? No. He's the ball in the hands. I'm the he's guy.
2: He's a he's a lead guard. And I if you go back to the interview uh, that I did with him, what was it, John? Probably a couple months ago we first talked to him, middle of February, because I actually just wrote a story that runs tomorrow on him. Where I okay. it, so yeah. I remember he mentioned uh, multiple guys, like NBA guys, that he tries to model his game after, and it it's in my mind. But he's he's Seth a Curry was one. There were several NBA guys that he talked about that he followed, that he incorporated aspects of their game. And and he's more of a lead guard. So, like, he's he's going to play – not saying that he's Kyrie, but, like, when you think about how Kyrie played in his limited time at Duke, like, he wasn't a, a total pass-first guy. Like, he could score. He was fast. He could use his body. And Tyrese proctor is even bigger than Kyrie. Like, he's got yeah, he's a – six He's got a natural ability to score, but he also – for years now, with his NBA Global Academy team, he's been training to be a point guard. So he has instincts to score, but he has skill to make plays as a point guard. He knows how to get guys involved because that's been his role with the NBA Global Academy. So he's going to be a, you know, a Duke like he's going to be a nightmare for teams to defend mm. with his well, size at the one.
4: Well, think about it. I mean, if you put Caleb Foster beside him, your 6 6'5 and 6'5, both of yeah. them capable of playing both positions.
2: Yep. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. And, and McCain too. <laughs> and Proctor and Caleb Foster and McCain, all of them are plus shooters from three-point range. They all have college range. Like that's. And then you still have shoot too. Yep. Like they're going to have shooting I mean, for days, spacing for days. And then the big wings that they have with uh, you McKenzie, know, with McKenzie and then Sean Stewart, like they just, they're going to be able to space the floor in unique ways. And they're going to be a nightmare to defend offensively
0: maybe he'll yep. be what we all thought uh Dante Exum was going to be, right? Remember back back when he was going Oh to, yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Wow, that's taking it back right <laughs> there. Little right? Throwback, there.
0: right? Yeah, a little.
2: Actually, I think from watching film, I think Proctor's a little bit stronger, like physically in the upper body at this stage mm-hmm. compared to Exum was when he was in high school. Yeah, he was like 6 Whoa. 7
0: like a kind of like Yeah, kinda he'll kinda be coming over.
4: He'll be almost 19 and a half years old as a freshman. Yeah. So, cuz he he literally could play next this coming season. Oh yeah. Um but he he actually told Steve in the interview the reason he was staying in Australia was he wanted to work in the NBA conditioning NBA yeah. uh, uh, off season programs and everything else. Now yeah. whether that holds or not, I guess we'll see. Yeah, but yeah, and I guess should we be worried
0: about any kind of like eligibility stuff with that? I don't know with how the NCAA no. is doing no, now.
2: No, dude. the 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 NBA Global Academy is a I mean it is a first class program. I mean okay. the train the, everything about it is. I mean, they they identify those kids. They're in the program. They train them like pros. I mean, it's it's a, you know, you're getting, like you hear Kay talk about sometimes, like when he talked about like the Tyus, Justice, Jaleel, like group, like they came in like, our like Paulo, like they came in ready, like emotionally, physically, their game. Like Tyrese Proctor is going to be a guy like that. He's going to come in ready to go day one. Mm.
4: Plus his accent's a ton of fun to to (laughs) listen to. Yep, (laughs) for sure. We'll make it fun for media. Nice, Yeah. I mean, that that's
0: going to be, it's going to be such a big shift after kind of like not having a lot of like shooting and guard depth to then bring in potentially Proctor, McCain and Foster together, especially because they could all three play like Foster could almost play on the wing a little bit in that scenario. Right. Like the way his game is, he could kind of slide down and be that off ball. Sure. Kind of guy.
2: Yeah. They're all versatile you know they they can all uh, play on ball with ball off ball like you you name it like offensively that group of Foster McCain and uh, Proctor like that's it's everything you want in a backcourt. They're versatile. You know, they can. I could go on and on about those it's guys. Like that Illinois
0: team on paper, right? The the or whatever. The oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. like that. How they yeah. had those three guys that just could, you know, yeah. could kill everybody, but the one that mattered, of course. But you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that's the way. That's the way these things go. And, but, and so
3: uh, many, so many of Duke's titles have been won with two point guards. So oh me, yeah, to get back to that look, um, you know, really the last three when you get right down to it. Considering yep. that Nolan, he might not have been a point guard in
2: 2010, yep. but he kind of became yep. one. And yep. oh my god, you just made me think of something. Like with that group, you know, with Proctor, McCain, and Foster, like if you have Foster and Proctor that you could play, you know, as your primary, you know, point guards, and that frees McCain just to play up, play off ball, and be the be the sniper that he is him and Jaden should together like, oh my goodness, like the weapons that they will be because they're going to be free to be who they are. They're scores and they're very talented scores in a variety of ways. Like Proctor and Foster help the offense function better because should and, uh, and McCain will be free to be who they are, which is making plays off the ball.
0: Yep, Gunners. Yeah. Would,
2: would
1: Roach
0: be a senior? That... He would. Yeah. If he came, yeah. if he came back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be be interesting to see. And, uh, you know, roll just a, a quick aside. I think I could almost make the case that all of our titles were won with two point guards, depending on how you view Grant Hill. I know Bobby was obviously True, the B sure, guy, yeah. but in terms of that skill set, right? Like we just have done so well um, back then, though, in the 90s, that probably wasn't really seen that way, though he was kind of used that way a little bit. But um, I guess in other news, though, uh, if you watch the McDonald's All American game, um, Derek played really well um Mark Mitchell played really well um to me Mark Mitchell seems to be a guy that could thrive in those kind of envi- just that kind of get out and run the backdoor cuts the lobs the the offensive rebounds um yeah. super versatile yeah super versatile I saw a little bit of alpha and whitehead though that I wasn't quite mm-hmm. sure of if we were going to see of just that ability and desire to kind of just want to take over um yeah and three-level scoring, right? He's really done some work, it looks like, on the shot. That three-point shot looks good. Hopefully, it starts going in at a 40% clip, but it looks good.
2: I think there's a reason why Dariq Whitehead, I mean, I remember seeing him multiple years ago, actually at the City of Palms tournament. He was, I think he started, and he was in the regular rotation for Monverde with, like, Scotty Barnes, okay? Like, he he started as a young guy in one of the most competitive high school prep school teams in the country, like, that guy has played with talent for a long time now. And he's used to both learning how to get his shot and learning how to play with talent. Like he's going to be a huge asset for Duke next year because he has developed his game to not just be a, like a, a one kind of score.
0: And I think I saw where Turner was showing, say on the boards for anyone listening, if you're interested, um, I think McKenzie and Proctor are going to be on NBA TV on Sunday. Um, says ten o'clock or nine o'clock or at night at eight p.m. It looks like they're going to be redoing the the Nike Hoop Summit. Um,
2: it's all. It's also going to be. I, it's also going to be. Um, if you go on YouTube, you, I think USA Basketball and I think the NBA uh, YouTube uh, TV, they're gonna they're gonna have it there too. So there's multiple streaming options for it.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I'm curious too, John. You talked about it a little bit the last time you were on. Um, how how much is, is Shire using NIL in this recruiting stuff? I believe you said that the Mark Mitchell recruitment, it was well-documented. Like The presentation was just on point. Is that something that's just we're going to have to kind of stroll that out for everybody we recruit? Or do we reserve that for just certain guys? How, how does that kind of work?
4: Yeah, so, so first thing that it, it's important to note, I mean, you cannot promise a kid a, a certain endorsement. What what Duke does is they say, look at our social media branding. Look at, like, Paolo Bencaro. They don't sit there and say, you know, he made X number of dollars last year because they can't be involved in that. What they say is, he committed to Duke, he had X number of followers. By the time we played our first game, he had X number of followers plus whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, y- if you look at the program, like they'll say – it, every now and then they'll put out a social media thing saying, you know, the top five college basketball games of the year. There's four of them are Duke games. To yeah. quote, the, <laughs> you know, hashtag the Duke Effect. Yeah. With Mark Mitchell, uh, what they did was, you know, Mark had a Mark has a real um, soft spot for um, some some pet uh, humanitarian call, call uh, humanitarian uh, causes he wants to support. And so what Duke did was they said, look, here are the tools the Duke basketball, um, platform can, can offer you. And, um, you know, you can take advantage of that or not, but here's what we do. Here's how we, here's, here's what we do for you off the court. And it's really just showing you, they are the premier brand of college basketball. They understand how to market their guys. They understand how to help their guys learn how to be marketed. Um, and and that's, that's kind of what they do. Uh, they do that's part of every recruitment um, is, is part of every presentation because that is the modern game of college basketball. Um, as far as NIL goes, you know, it, Duke's brand and platform is what gives these kids the ability to do that. I mean, a couple of years ago, Zion Williamson would have made, I mean, ungodly amounts of money, mm-hmm. um, but John Morant would have done pretty well himself, even though he was playing at, Whatever it was, like I forget. Murray, I forget State. Where he Murray State, yeah, yeah. He would he would have played wherever because he was a marketable commodity. Um, but then you you know you extrapolate that out. Well, if John Moran had come back for his, for another year and played at Duke, I mean, it would have been Zion like. I mean, mm-hmm. just yeah. And, and so that's kind of what the, that's what they can offer. Um, now our our teams coming in saying, yeah, we'll guarantee you X number of dollars. Of course they are. Look at college football recruiting. We get texted to AM for that. Um, you know, but what Duke does is they just say, this is our platform. This is our brand. If we, mar- if we marry it to your brand, here's how much more exposure you're going to have. More exposure equals more marketability. More marketability equals better opportunities. Yeah.
2: And the thing that helped them with Mark Mitchell and the same thing that helped with Jerry McCain, like those guys were really, they were very aware of the platform that Duke Blue Planet, you know, what what they have with Dave Bradley and the whole crew there. And they do a great job at educating those guys on like, how, like John was saying, like how they can help you, you know, think through, you know, how to market yourself, you know, how to build your brand as a part of, you know, the brand of Duke, the team of Duke. And those guys were highly dialed in, you know, with, uh, with McCain and Mitchell just into like when they went on their visits, and they were able to have these high-level discussions with Dave Bradley and the and the whole crew there. Like it, they were really just able to understand very clearly like how Duke could help them think through how to present themselves, how to take advantage of these opportunities that are that are out there. So John's exactly right. Like they're, it's the best of both worlds when you have guys that are smart about maximizing their platform. You know the way guys like Mitchell are, and the way uh, way Jerry McCain is as well.
0: For sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll kind of transition and, and get out of here. Um, first thing, to want to thank Steve and John for coming on. Um, off season is going to look a little bit different for us. We're going to try to get some guests lined up. We're probably not going to do weekly podcasts. We're going to plan to do at least two a month, depending on how topics come up. I know we're going to try to do something about like a draft preview, maybe try to get some one of the NBA draft guys to come in here um, and talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk, I'm sure, again about some recruiting over the summer. Um, maybe we can snag some, some former players or or coaches or, you know, somebody to come on and, and talk to us. But, uh, in the meantime, you know, rate review, subscribe, uh, email us at the devil's at gmail.com. If there's somebody that you that you think of that you'd like to have see come on or, or a player or a coach or anybody connected to Duke, maybe we can try to get them. Um, you know, in the meantime, it's a tough loss, but we got John coming up. I hope the fan base really kind of rallies around him, supports him, shows up next year um you know we'll, we'll recover from this and keep the faces strong and the verb high let's go do.